Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast, where we gather at the table to hear each other's stories. I'm your host, Angie Smith, and I am so glad that you're here. Please pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the Retreat House Table. Today's episode is is an episode that you probably don't want to have uh, young ears around. My friend Dave Lutz is joining me at the table, and he has a very difficult story to tell about losing his wife and their child. And I would say, well, he said it's PG-13 to R, so you just I would use caution if you have small ears around while you're listening to this episode of the podcast. So I want to welcome Dave Lutz to the show. He is a friend from church, and I met him after this story happened when he remarried someone from my church that I knew. And it's been, the reason why I wanted Dave to come on and tell his story is because I've appreciated the way that I've seen him grieve. And I know that he knows grief. And when I've been grieving and he's asked me how I'm doing, that's created safe space for me to say how I'm really doing. So Hmm. welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. Where where do you feel like is a good place to begin with your story? So I, I'll, I'll begin back when when I uh, when I met my first wife and kind of just walk through the story because it was okay. a, it was a it was a quick period of time where this happened, um, mm-hmm. and probably that's the easiest place to start. I okay. I got married in December of two thousand. Okay. Um, got married kind of late in life. I was thirty at the time that I got married. I married uh, Diana. And um, we had our first child in uh, April of 2002. So uh, when Amanda was born and we first brought her home, we thought she, she was fine and we thought that uh, she was healthy. We had some issues right away in the right when she was born. She was whisked off to the NICU. Um, they had some concerns with her breathing, but she stayed a couple of days and she seemed to be fine. And we thought, okay, it was just a little bump. She'll be fine. We brought her home and we thought we had a, a healthy uh, baby girl, and mm-hmm. her name was Amanda. Um, but over the course of the next couple months, we started discovering that she had some health problems. Um, she started having some developmental delay. She started having um, she had hypothyroidism. She at the age of four months, she was diagnosed with uh, epilepsy, and okay. that's that was kind of a bad sign for us because we knew that that was kind of a precursor to probably some other things going on. So, so she having symptoms like. Seizures? Seizures, and, okay. yeah. So she had she started having um, bad seizures when she was four months old. Okay. And these are the type oh, of seizures scary. that would happen in the middle of the night. And um, what would happen is, is they were grand mal seizures. She would um, stop breathing, start to turn blue, and you, you didn't really know what was going on. So mm-hmm. we, we were in kind of in and out of the hospital for a, a while and still trying to get figure out what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't know uh, at the time what was wrong. And so this was obviously a very stressful time. Um, at four months, she was diagnosed again with this epilepsy, and I ended up having to um, sleep in her room at night um, and then go to work during the day. And um, Diana was caring for the daughter, staying home, but mm-hmm. um, she had she was a social worker before, um, but then switched to uh, staying at home to be with the daughter. Okay. And what was hard is is we were not getting success in controlling seizures so we weren't i wasn't sleeping well mm-hmm. um again in and out of the hospital and, and then uh one day this was in on November 11th 2002 i had gotten up um went to work that morning 
before I left, Diana said to me, hey, um, is there any way you can stay home today? And I said, you know, I, I really can't. I got a lot going on at work. And she says, okay, well, I'll be fine. And uh, about 11 o'clock that morning, I, I got a phone call from her, and she was hysterical saying that um, Amanda had stopped breathing and there's something bad going on and uh, it didn't look good. So she says, meet me at the hospital. The ambulance is coming. So I hung up the phone, mm-hmm. drove to the hospital. I, I saw the ambulance pull in. They were working on her. And they worked on her for about 45 minutes or so, and then they came in and said, I'm, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. She, she's gone. She's gone. So that was on November 11th. Um, obviously, we were in a whirlwind as right. to what happened. Um, our, my girl was gone, and we were obviously in shock of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, then on November 13th, which so she died on a Monday, and, and then on a Wednesday, um, uh, Diana got up early in the morning and left, uh, left that morning and took off. And I, I didn't know where she went, and I called her on her cell phone. I said, so where, where did you go? And she says, well... I'm going to a friend's house. I'm just going to go talk with her. I'll I'll be back. And um, I was there. Diana's mom was there. We were going through the obituary for Amanda, kind of trying to write it up and figure it out. And mm-hmm. over the course of the next couple hours, we exchanged some awkward phone calls. Um, I was wondering where Diana was and what she was doing. And then uh, I finally got uh, a call probably around noon or 1 from Diana saying, mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you something. Um, Diana or Amanda didn't die the way you think she did. I I killed her, and now I'm going to kill myself. She hung up the phone, and that was the last I heard from Diana. That uh, sent off a, a, a fury of um, frantic phone calls from me, from right. other people. We uh, and you were there with her mom. I was there with house. her mom. Yep, and actually, her sisters were there at the time. Um, I think her brother was there also. And so we started sending out a search party to go look for Diana. Mm-hmm. And um, we eventually did uh, call around and found that she had checked into a hotel. Um, this was after probably about three hours of searching, and we, which the hotel was about an hour and a half from – I'm sorry. It was about 15 minutes from uh, my house not or just uh, real close by. So we okay. jumped in the car, raced over there. And uh, by the time I got to the hotel, it was it was too late. They gave us a key. I went into the, her room, and I found uh, Diana had shot herself. Uh, I, I, I mean, what do you, what what do you do with that? I mean, what was, I mean, how do you? Can you even put into words what, I mean, what that was like for you? No, at the time you're so numb because when it I, first happened, I walked in and I just saw her, ran over and said. Oh, you've got to be kidding! And you just can't believe that that happened. Right. Um, I was still processing what she had said earlier that she killed Amanda. Yeah. And then I'm processing that now she's gone. So obviously I'm in shock. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, the 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 next couple weeks were sort of a blur. I'm sure. I went back home. You know, my dad moved in with me for a while mm-hmm. to say, okay. Let's. Uh, I'm going to stay with you for as long as you need me. I went home to a you know a house that was now empty. Used to have that was, um, had been full of life. Yeah, full of life, and now they're gone. And it's it's one of those things where it's it's um it's very traumatic, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's the the grief you're kind of working through is is the uh, the grief related to the questions that you got to go through. You go through all these different stages of 
wow, what could I have done? I mm-hmm. mean, the, the, the bargaining, the, mm-hmm. the anger, the denial, the, and then eventually you get to certain points of acceptance. But uh, I started meeting with a counselor from church, mm-hmm. um, started going through uh, that. But I got, to, I got back to work probably within a week, I think, um, just because I was like, you know, I can sit at home, but this is depressing to be at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of like alone in your thoughts. Yeah. I, I remember when it first happened over for the first few days, it was literally hour by hour mm-hmm. uh, that you kind of went through it. And the only relief I got was when I went to bed at night and slept. Mm-hmm. I would obviously a lot of times cry myself to sleep, go to sleep, and then wake up thinking, oh, must have been a dream. And then no reality hits again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, no, they're they're gone. So – there's lots of different what ifs you play. Um, you know, you go back and ask the questions of, wow, could I have done more for this? Could mm-hmm. I have stopped this? You, you know, in, in hindsight, you look back and. And how did you work through that? Uh, through basically lots of processing with a, a pastor, a friend of mine, who mm-hmm. was ended up being a counselor for me for about a year. I, I went probably every other week for a while, and then I went uh, backed off to once a month. And just kind of process through the the, the questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was really helpful for me was to replay these scenes. That I was not there when either uh, Amanda died or when Diana died. I and I didn't mention this earlier, but I I found out later that Diana had killed Amanda by putting a pillow over her face and suffocating her. Okay. Um. So it actually had happened in our house, and that's how Amanda died. But one of the things that really helped me reprocess these is Diana was a believer, mm-hmm. um, was to go back and replay these scenes because I've I have these scenes in my head, mm-hmm. but to go back and replay these scenes and put uh, Jesus into these scenes mm-hmm. and just to know that during these time pr- frames that when this was going on, for instance, when Diana killed Amanda, to put Jesus back in that scene, to mm-hmm. put Jesus into the room and say, "Wow, Jesus was there." He, he was there when Amanda died. He was there watching it happen. He mm-hmm. let it happen. Um, he didn't stop it. But he also kind of was, you know, um, there to greet Amanda when, when she died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Diana. When Diana was in the hotel room uh, right before she took her life, I replay that scene putting Jesus in that room mm-hmm. where Jesus was saying, Diana, don't do this. Don't don't take your life. Mm-hmm. And then after it happened, um, she was, I believe she was a believer. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she proclaimed Christ as her Savior. So after she died, Jesus was there. Mm-hmm. So the the uh, the taking of her life was not the end of her story. Right. It was, um, it was a transition period. Mm-hmm. And after she died, Jesus, I envisioned him opening his arms to her and saying, okay, let's go home. Mm-hmm. And and moving on, so that there that helped me realize, okay, there's something beyond this life, right? Then and th- those scenes are not the end. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the story for either Amanda or Diana. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the process of working through that, and then also the just the process of working through the what could I have done? Well, how could I have stopped this? Could I have seen this coming? You know, there was there was discussions when we were in and out of the hospital. There was times there were some signs where I felt like, okay, should I do some intervention? I had called Diana's doctor and said, hey, she had mentioned something about that she's struggling with this and struggling with 
uh, dealing with Amanda, and she had talked thought about taking her life, and and what should I do? Should I commit her? Should I? Mm-hmm. What should I do? And the response I got back was, well, um, I don't think there's much we can do. I mean, I, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen, or that she doesn't say she's going to do it now, anyways. So there was lots of that struggle that I had mm-hmm. to go back and kind of process as to how do I, how do I uh, work through the what ifs. Mm-hmm. And, and you were very purposeful about that, weren't you? I, I mean, was. I, I remember you talking about very intentionally, I'm going to go through this. I'm yeah. not going to try to get around it. I'm going to go right straight through the middle of it. Yeah. I learned I learned that grieving was uh, hard work. Mm-hmm. And I also know that it, they always say it's like ocean waves. It, I mean, it, it hits you, you process it. Um, and then you start to feel better and you start to think, oh, okay, I'm feeling better. I think I'm going to be okay. And then all of a sudden it hits you again. <laughs> then the tide comes in. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's crazy how that works. And one of the best examples I, when I was going through the counseling sessions was, is, um, I remember my counselor saying, or the, the pastor friend of mine saying to me, you know, the, the death of, of Diana and Amanda is like a, a circle on a board. And he says, over time, you think that circle is going to get smaller and shrink. And he says, but it doesn't. It stays the same. You don't get over it, mm-hmm. but you do get a chance to move on and have other circles in your life continue to grow. And that's kind of what happened for me. I had, I obviously, um, I'm, I'm married now. I've got four wonderful kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 15 years later. And I'll get into that part of the story, too. So, but... He was saying if you let other things in your life continue to grow while you're still processing and dealing with this death, that circle of Diana and Amanda dying doesn't go away and doesn't get smaller, but the other areas of your life can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So it puts it in perspective for you. And I'm 15 years later, so it mm-hmm. feels like a, obviously a lifetime ago. Right. But so there's some neat God stories in this too. I mean, I so at the time... I'm now married to Mickey, uh, my wife. Mm-hmm. We have, like I said, four kids. I've got an oldest daughter who's getting married this summer, and I've got a son in college, and then I've got two other children. The, the, my two oldest kids are adopted, and this, the way I, I people ask, "Oh, how'd you meet your wife?" And I said, "Well, so I, awkward for them." <laughs> yeah, how'd you meet your wife? Well, I met my wife at my wife's funeral. Is kind of the answer I give, and boy, mm-hmm. they don't know what they're getting into when right. they ask that question. Seems so innocent at the time, <laughs> right? But so I met Mickey actually at the visitation for Diana and Amanda's funeral. She mm-hmm. came up to me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm Mickey. You, you don't know me, but you may have heard about me. My my husband had suicided six months earlier, mm-hmm. and she says we knew about Amanda. And we, our our small group was actually praying for your daughter because we had heard about it through Calvary. And one of uh, Diana's good friends was attending Calvary and was kind of sharing prayer requests for Amanda to get better." And she says, I was actually scheduled to bring a meal to you guys, but something came up and I didn't do it. So we had never met before. Mm-hmm. But the so lots of God things when I look back on some things that happened. So when when uh, Amanda died, Mickey had heard about it and felt sad and kind of was crying about it. And her daughter at the time, Kenzie, was six and Jordan was four. And, and they saw that she was sad. And she says, well, what happened? Well, I remember that girl we were praying for well she passed away and they said oh that's that's terrible and then uh, two days later they were in the car and mickey had got a phone call from a friend of a friend saying oh diana went missing and now they found her and she died and mm-hmm. so mickey started crying again and 
And Kenzie said to Mickey, "What what happened? Why are you crying?" Well, remember that girl we were praying for. Her 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 mom now has died. Also, so much for a six year old, yeah, and a four year old to process, especially after losing their dad. Their dad, yeah. So their dad had um, suicided six months earlier, and they were still obviously in the middle of processing that. Right. But the minute Kenzie heard that both Diana and Amanda had died, she said to Mickey. Well, that probably will work out okay then, Mom, because he needs a new family and we need a new dad. <laughs> and Mickey Just, said, oh, sweetheart, it doesn't quite work okay. that way. Right. I mean, that's a nice thought, but I just – it doesn't work that way. Well, I guess it can work that way. Yeah, he worked it out that way. <laughs> yeah, so th- that's just one of those things. So I, I – Mickey and I started dating, you know, long after this happened. We got married two and a half years later mm-hmm. after uh, Diana and Amanda died. We started dating probably six months later. And I was one of those things when we first started, when we first met, I said, you know, I'm going to be pretty messed up for a while. So mm-hmm. I'm going to need some time to kind of process this and get through this. And and um, she was in the midst of her own. Right. So we, we got together um, and started talking on the phone probably once a week. You know, mm-hmm. this was several months afterwards. And just to kind of help get through the process, kind of talk about. Right, because you're both had such unique. Yeah. I mean, seemingly unique Stories, situations right. that were there were similarities, similarities as right. well. So we started processing grief together in, in terms of, you know, how do you do this and, and how does this work and the good days and the bad days. And so it started out just kind of as a friendship um, over the phone once mm-hmm. a week talking, processing and I remember there's times where I'd call her and say, yeah, I don't feel like talking this week. I'm going to go talk to my brother mm-hmm. and hang up. And just because that's the, the wave of the emotions that you're going through. And so fast forward two and a half years, we, you know, we started dating. We got engaged. We got married. I adopted Kenzie and Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had uh, two kids of our own after that. So our family grew to grew to six mm-hmm. total. Mm-hmm. So I remember when Colin was born. Think and knowing the backstory. I mean, people throw around Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things for good a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. But I remember when Colin was born, really feeling like, oh goodness, this he he like his existence feels like yeah, God making good of a really awful right situations or bringing good out despite right the situation. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I I look back on the events that happened and when you're going through it, you just sit there and think to yourself, wow, I hope just to get to the next hour. Boy, I hope I just get to the next, the Mm -hmm. evening, to the next day, to the next week. Mm -hmm. And you just, you know, they they talk about how, well, time, time will heal it. Well, time doesn't necessarily heal it. Mm -hmm. Time puts it in a different perspective for you, Mm -hmm. but you kind of got to process it and go through it. And I remember I had to go through various stages and then sometimes back up and go through the stage again. Mm -hmm. Fifteen years later, it's obviously a different perspective than it was, you know, from 15 years ago. But Mm -hmm. um, God is good, and he he really saw me through the valley of the shadow of death in that instance, um, walked me through it. And um, help me process. And I, it's one of those things where I, I didn't go through the uh, the the uh, questioning of God in terms of why did you, why did this happen? Like his character questioning. His I character. didn't question his character. I did question prayer for a while because I really struggled with because when Amanda got sick, 
we prayed. We prayed a lot. And I remember having people over to pray for her. I remember sending out prayer requests. I set up a website for a while. And I remember thinking, why isn't she being healed? And mm. boy, when you look back, and, and now I have a different perspective on it now. But that was something that I struggled with. And I also struggled with, and, and still do a little bit, some of the, the unanswered stuff, which is, well, Amanda was six months old. Um, she died. How do I know she's in heaven? Mm. And I don't quite have full peace on that yet because I have a theology that kind of bumps in the way of that sometimes. And uh, I like to think that she's standing there with him, and mm-hmm. I I believe that that will be the case. Mm-hmm. But I struggle with it at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I struggle with because I know that she couldn't have comprehended it, but I also know that we've got a, a graceful God. Right. Um, but I, I remember sitting with a, a pastor afterwards and asking that question. And the, and the answer I got was, well, I don't know if you want to hear theology right now. And I said, well, I kind of do. What do you think? And the response I got was, well, my thought is, is that everyone's going to have a chance to stand before God. If they didn't have the ability to do it sure. down here on earth, that they're doing it up there. And he says, I like to think that when you're standing in the presence of God, you don't say no. Right. Um, she was six months old. Obviously, she couldn't comprehend, didn't make a decision for Christ. But mm-hmm. I like to think that when she was standing in front of him, that she did say yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love the imagery of when you went back and replayed that with him there. Yeah. That with with Jesus waiting and welcoming her. Yeah. Waiting for her. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. was part of the that was part of the healing process for me to sit and think. Okay, her life didn't end there; it continued on. Mm-hmm. One of the events that uh, occurred between the the time Amanda died and Diana died, it was um, the next night I was at my parents' house. One of our friends was walking through the house and walked past Diana and had uh, a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And she didn't tell us this until probably a year and a half, two years later. But she walked past Diana and and had a, a moment from God that said, she said, I knew that Diana had taken Amanda's life. She says, I knew that uh, Diana was going to die and that David was going to marry, marry Mickey, right? And, and and she said, what was that? And kind of walked by in the hall and said, what was that? And she got in the car that night to drive home with her husband, and she told her husband this. I, I don't know what I what I just felt, but I just felt something, and he, she explained it to him. So then over the course of after the events happened, mm-hmm. um, when she learned that Mickey and I were starting to date, she kind of was excited to hear, wow, this was a prophetic thing that I saw. Mm. And so then after Mickey and I got married, she she finally came to us. Uh, this was, I think, a, probably even six months or a year after we were married and said, I knew this was going to happen. And we were like, what do you mean you knew this was going to happen? She says, I, God told me that this was how this was going to play out. So that was kind of an interesting thing that happened mm-hmm. afterwards that we found out about. So, Well, I think it's always, I always find it comforting when God cares enough about us to burden others yeah. for us. Right. Like, I'm sure that she, in her questioning of, what was that? And right. Are you kidding? But then as things start to unfold, I'm sure there was probably prayer that yeah. went behind that of, Okay, Lord, you know, these things that you showed me are starting to happen. And I just love how he loves us enough to burden others, right. to pray for us 
even when we have no idea he's doing that. Right. Yeah. And just, uh, I mean, it it almost, it, it shows the hope then because it mm-hmm. gives them hope of, wow. Because when all of this happened, people were obviously shocked and stunned by it. And it, it affected a lot of people. I mean, obviously it affected me, but it affected a lot mm-hmm. of people around well, her me. Her sisters and her mom that yeah. were there with you at, at your house. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just been really hard on all the families involved so Mm -hmm. and then just how it touches a lot of different people and um it's one of those things it's it's a story it's shocking to tell Mm -hmm. but i also feel like you know i'm okay to share it because i know that uh, i have a a place beyond this that Mm -hmm. and uh hope to see and reunite with both them at some point in the future so when you were talking about your pastor friend drawing the circles and talking about the circle always being with you, but others will come and others will grow. Mm-hmm. So now 15 years later, looking back with that circle still with you, you know, what is the perspective and what is the, you know, what is the, the view on that now? Yeah. I guess where are you in your grief 15 years later? Yeah, it's, it's, um, like I said, it feels like a lifetime ago. I still have a, a, a daughter and, and a previous wife that are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's still a loss there. There's still something deep down that I, I, I lost. But I also have so much more in life going on right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got, like I said, I've got my oldest daughter, Kenzie, is getting married in June. So I'm mm-hmm. inviting a son-in-law into our family. Um, my second oldest, Jordan, is a, is a junior at college. And um, we get to spend time in the summers wakeboarding and, mm-hmm. and um, just having a blast. And then to watch Josie and Colin uh, grow up and kind of – I came into Kenzie and Jordan's life when they were about four and six, which was kind of a nice time to come into their life because mm-hmm. um, they accepted me as their dad. And um, I adopted them, and uh, I gave them the choice of saying, hey, do you, do you want my last name or do you want to stay? And, and they both said, no, I, we want to take your last name. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a nice – time to to watch them go through those milestones Mm -hmm. and then to kind of watch Josie and Colin do the same thing so Mm -hmm. yeah it's like I said it feels like a lifetime ago the loss is still there I obviously have a different perspective on it now than I do 15 years later Mm -hmm. but God has 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 blessed me so so much by giving me a new family and Mm -hmm. a, a new wife and great wonderful kids and just a, a purpose so I, it's yeah. it's been good so acknowledging that everybody grieves a, a little bit differently and everybody's story is a little different what would you say to somebody who's walking through grief you know whether it's the loss of a spouse or a child or just a loss is there yeah there, like advice that you would offer I, I guess that there, you know, you, you hear these and I even wrote these down there's these four stages of 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 grief that you go through it's the denial it's the anger it's mm-hmm. the bargaining and then the eventually the acceptance and i know that it, to properly go through it you do go through all those stages not necessarily in that order right and and sometimes you go through a stage and sometimes you got to go back and go through the stage again because mm-hmm. there's multiple times where i wanted to do things over and say why you know why you, you ask the question why Mm-hmm. And I don't get answers this side of eternity as to the why. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like I, I, I describe grief as it's hard work. You got to process it. You got to ask the whys. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You got to learn to accept that there's sometimes not going to be some answers. Some I also did this too. There was times where I, when I was going through the processing of it, where I actually uh, journaled. Um, my counselor said, "Sit down and write questions that you would want to ask to Diana, mm-hmm. and, and um, write them out, and then write out what you think the answers would have been." Um, and and you do that, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a process, and it's not it's not not complete, but it is it helps ask some of the why questions. Right. Eventually, you do get to the point where I'm okay not knowing the answer to some of these too, mm-hmm. um, knowing that this side of eternity I won't know the answer to some of these questions, and that's okay also. And grief takes time, um, and people go through it at different speeds. Right. And uh, I don't I don't ever want to say to somebody, oh, you'll get over it. You don't get over it. What you do is you you do move on, mm-hmm. and you do let other areas of your life grow. And that's what I encourage people to do is to do the hard work, but then also take breaks. I, I remember when I was early on in the first few months, it was emotionally but also physically exhausting to it grieve. Hurts. It hurt. It, yeah. I would wake up in the morning and my body would hurt mm-hmm. because it was I was experiencing physical pain along with the emotional pain Mm -hmm. and you just kind of process through and but then also have times where it's okay to enjoy life and and know that you know what and not feel guilty i'm gonna set it yeah Mm -hmm. not feel guilty i'm gonna set this aside i'm gonna go have a good time i'm gonna enjoy this and i'm gonna um enjoy what i'm going through or what event i'm at or who i'm with enjoy the company free to enjoy but then also know that, okay, I'm probably going to come back at some mm-hmm. point. So th- then as you work through those stages, um, it does obviously it, – it, your perspective on it changes. But it doesn't it doesn't go away. Mm-mm. But you do get a different perspective on it. Right. Yeah. I've uh, Yeah, all the things that you're talking about I've experienced too. I remember I had shared Elise Binsfield's mother had passed yeah. away maybe a year or so before my mom passed away. So by the time my mom passed away, I remember seeing Elise smile and laugh hmm. and think and like I kept hanging on to that of, okay, she's joyful again. Right. Like I will get there. I'm not there now, but I will get right to that place. Right. And that was hope. Like hope. Yeah. I found hope in that. Yeah. I, I also it, yeah because I always, I always felt like I had a, a purpose and and joy deep down. But my happiness was gone. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew, well, happiness is sort of situational. Mm-hmm. comes and goes. But joys can always be there because you know where my eternity lies. Right. So that makes a, a big difference. And that I was going to say that was obviously the other thing. I, I don't know how people go through loss like that without having some sort of eternal hope mm-hmm. in Jesus and, and some reason why we're here. Right. Because... Obviously, having a faith made a huge difference in me being able to get through um, complicated grief. Right. Facing the pain of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Knowing that, okay, um, this isn't the end of the story. Mm -hmm. There will be be a continuation. I I don't see it yet, but there will be. Well, thank you so much for coming on. When I had decided to do this series on grief, your story and Mickey's story were one of the first ones I had thought about because— I mean, it's just, it is, you don't forget it. (laughs) And to see the way that you purposefully 
walked through grief and were so purposeful about it and open about it, I've always appreciated that. Sure. So I really am privileged that you came and told your story. So sure. thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House podcast. Any links mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes. We want to thank Isaac Turley for his music at the beginning and end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, and we'll see you next week on the Retreat House podcast. Thank you.